Father, we thank you for putting us in this place tonight so that we could hear your word. We thank you for our brothers and sisters that sit with us. That you've placed us in such a family. That you've placed us in a body as you saw fit. Lord, we thank you for your Holy Spirit which is present tonight. Not only as we worship, not only to make us feel in a certain way, but, but rather to change us, to transform us, to make us different people than we would have been. Father, we thank you for that Holy Spirit that dwells and, and, and anoints your word so that when it hits us, it does not hit us as mere knowledge in an intellectual sense, but it hits us as something that can change our life, that pierces to our hearts, that, that divides soul and spirit, joint and marrow, is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. So Lord, see our thoughts, see the intentions of our heart, and transform us tonight to be more like you. We thank you for it. Thank you for everything that you've done. And we receive your word with open hearts and open minds. We ask that you open our eyes to see it, open our ears to hear it, and open our hearts to understand it. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Praise the Lord. Well, last uh, Wednesday, we were reading uh, from 1 Corinthians 15 about the resurrection, about the proof of the resurrection, not the proof not being simply um, uh, factual, the proof not just being in documents or in, in letters, but the proof being living and breathing, the proof being in these disciples that could do things they never could do before, that had boldness they never had before, that obviously saw something and experienced something that changed them so much that you could put them in prison, you could beat them, you could torture them, you could kill them, and they wouldn't change their story. This was not a sham, this was not a scam, this was the real thing, and they were changed. Not just by knowing the resurrection happened, not just by seeing the resurrected Christ, although that had a great effect on them, but by experiencing His resurrection in their lives. Experiencing a resurrected Jesus in their daily lives. That Jesus did not die and stay dead. He died, rose again, and worked through the church to become, so that the church could be His body on this earth, so that the Holy Spirit could reach more places, reach more people, so that the world would be transformed by His anointing. They knew the resurrection. They saw it. They lived it. We are in the same boat. Now, we may not have seen a physical Christ stand in front of us and let us feel His hands and feet. But we have experienced the changing resurrection power in our lives. It's affected us. It's made us different people. And the grace of God, that being the power of God to do what you couldn't do, the power of God working in your life where you're weak, He is strong. Where, where you do not have ability, His ability is there. And in fact, when you realize that my ability is nothing compared to His ability, you approach Him by saying, I don't have any abilities worth putting on the table. Can you just give me your ability? As it says in Isaiah 40, They that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. The Hebrew says, it's the word kalaf, will exchange their strength. They'll take off their coat and they'll put on His coat. They'll mount up with wings like eagles. This is cool. Because this means that He's got a strength for you that you don't have. This means that the grace of God, as we read uh, in Paul's uh, statement of why the resurrection was real, 
He said, I was one. He's explaining who all saw, saw Jesus alive. And then he said, least of all and last of all, me as one untimely born. I saw him myself. And he says, I am not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church. I'm not even fit to be called. I'm not qualified. I don't fit the qualifications for apostleship. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Praise the Lord. This is Christianity, is to realize that you don't measure up to the qualifications. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And he said, and his grace was not without effect, or was not in vain, without effect, without results in my life. Which means I didn't use the grace of God to, to just sit back and, and, and wait for the end to come and, and know that I'm in the book of life. The grace of God was not without effect. He says, but I worked harder than anyone. I labored more than everyone. That's what the grace of God did in my life. It caused me to be more of an apostle than any other apostle because I knew I couldn't be an apostle in my own strength. It's one of the coolest things. He became one of the greatest apostles and part of it being that he realized up front, I've got nothing to offer God. I've got nothing to offer him that would say, here's why I'm a good apostle. He says, I don't fit. But because of that, God chose me to show you something, to prove something, that he uses the people that don't fit and he makes them fit by his grace, by his anointing, by his ability. I am what I am by the grace of God. His grace toward me was not without effect, but I labored harder than all the rest of them. But not I. It wasn't me that was working so hard, but the grace of God with me. Praise the Lord. So what does this mean? This means that as the body of Christ, God is raising us up to be a people that understand and appreciate and honor His grace as being more than simply a covering for your mistakes, but rather an infilling of His power to live like He lived, to walk as He walked, to speak as He spoke, to be the body of Christ. Tonight, we're going to go a little bit of a different direction. In fact, we're not going to spend much time at all in the New Testament, which is a bit rare for a Wednesday night. We're going to go to the book of Judges. <laughs> I don't know what significance that has to you, but that's cool. <laughs> we got some woes on the... We go to the book of Judges, um, and we are going to dive into something because the book of Judges, as, as you know, the Old Testament has so much to say to us about about our God, and 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 in in every way, if you look through it and you you know it and you see it in the light of the New Covenant, you find out where it points to Jesus. You know, you find out where it all leads to that redemptive story of Jesus Christ. It's wonderful. That, that, that the history of the world is one long story of God drawing people near to Himself. Of God redeeming and buying back humanity. In the book of Judges, we see a messed up group of people. Fresh off of Joshua's victories. Leading those people. They were the ones who were able to go into the promised land. We would think that would make them a little bit better than their parents who refused to go in, who were disobedient and unbelieving. Hebrews says they had an unbelieving and evil heart. 
um, wouldn't go in, did not mix their hearing with faith, did not believe that they could go into the promised land, so they didn't. They died in the wilderness. And then you get another group of people that come in, their sons, their daughters, who are led by men such as Joshua and Caleb, and they see the hand of God, they see the works of God, and they're brought into the promised land. I would have figured that by this time, they'd be okay. That they would know that the Lord is God. But as you know, humans are humans, and um, these ones fell short. And so we see throughout the book of Judges, we see a group of people that have landed in the promised land, but have not completely believed the promise and not completely committed themselves to the promise. We see throughout the book of Judges, more than anything, you see the faithfulness of God. Because if any of us had been God, we would have kicked these guys out after chapter 1.5. They'd be done, dead, gone. The faithfulness of God is like, well, it's like the illustration of Hosea. How many of you know the story of Hosea? and his wonderful wife, Gomer. You read the story of Hosea and Gomer. God actually tells, I mean, how about, <laughs> how's this for a ministry calling? You're going to marry a prostitute and you're going to like it. <laughs> Many of us would say, oh, yeah, Jesus can fix that girl up. And you know what? I mean, I'm, oh, come on. We've, we've, Many of us have met prostitutes or ex-prostitutes that have been redeemed and Live wonderful, God-glorifying lives. Okay, this is good. But what if God said to you, yeah, not this one. This one's going to go back a few times. After I marry her? After you marry her. Why, God? Why are you doing this to me? You're going to be a giant object lesson for me. <laughs> well, can't you just use the flannel graph or something? Can't you use puppets? Why do you have to use me? Well... Because I want to show my people what they've been doing to me and how I've been faithful to them throughout. So when Hosea marries Gomer, Gomer continually goes back and commits adultery with other men. With I mean, she's not even picky about who she, she goes with. And God keeps telling Hosea, take her back. Love her. And love her like she's never done a thing. And in that, he says, this is how I treat you, Israel. You go away and you commit adultery with other gods and I take you back and treat you like you never did a thing. And throughout the book of Judges, we see this love story of a God who says, I love you, you're my people. And for a moment they say yes while they're getting the jewelry. They're saying, wow, I love you, my favorite husband ever. But the moment... They get distracted by another shiny thing. They go off and commit adultery with other gods. And they experience what life is like outside of God's best plan for them. They experience what life is like outside of the covenant. And after a while, they cry out to God. God raises up a deliverer and delivers them immediately. And as long as that deliverer is alive... They serve the Lord. But when he dies, they go back. And then the whole cycle continues. And every time, Jehovah Yahweh takes them back and loves them like they've never done anything wrong. What a story. We're going to read from, the, from a song. And it is one of the most beautiful pieces of poetry. It is one of the oldest 
pieces of poetry in the Hebrew language, perhaps the oldest. It's the song of Deborah and Barak. A wonderful history of what God has done through His people. So if you'll turn to Judges chapter 5, we're going to begin to, to dive into this song. It may, I, I do believe it will take us a couple weeks to do it. But we're going to see God working throughout. We're going, to, we're going to experience a couple of different elements of it. But we're going to see how God moves on behalf of His people and how He uses people to fulfill His plan and His destiny and He raises up people to be anointed of the Spirit. You see, in the book of Judges, you see a lot of the Spirit of God working with people. You, you may say, well, it's the Old Testament. What do you mean? Well, the Holy Spirit is working in this book. And you see a whole lot of it because all of a sudden you see a, a bunch of people who do things they never could do before. And what we see is that God raises up, as I said, when they cry out to God, He raises up a deliverer. And this deliverer does things that nobody could do, like Samson, who did something no man could ever do because he was anointed by God to deliver the people. Now, what becomes very cool about this is that in the book of Judges, it's Old Testament. And you realize that he's raising up this guy, and he's raising up this woman, and he's raising up this guy. But in the New Covenant, you've got a church full of people, not just with a temporary anointing of the Holy Spirit, but with the indwelt anointing of the Spirit inside of them, working together as the body of Christ. And it's not going to leave. It's in us. It's our pledge. It's our promise. It's our seal. And we're walking around in this power, not just waiting for someone to deliver us, but with the, the delivering power right on the inside of us. Isn't that cool? So, you, you may see reflections or faint shadows of the church in here, but, but you've got to know, we have such a better covenant. We have so much more to rejoice about than they did, and they had a lot to rejoice about. So, Hold your spot in Judges 5 because that's really where we're going to mainly go from. But I want to give you some background on how they found themselves in a bad position. When Joshua and the Israelites came into the promised land, they came into the promised land because it was the promised land. That's why they came in. Not because they were stronger, not because they were more mighty, but because it was the promised land it was the land of promise and God keeps promises that's why they went into the promised land because come on guys you want to do modern warfare you don't go to a city and shout till the walls fall down that doesn't work unless God is doing something right. you can get a scientist that says well actually you know Oh, if you had enough people, come on, they didn't have enough people to shake down those walls. <laughs> oh, if you're a lot of, no, they did not have the volume to do this. This was a work of God. So they went in because it was the promised land. However, God had given them certain uh, commandments and instructions on how to inherit the land of promise. They go into Canaan and their feet are on the ground. Their feet are where they've been promised. Now, Joshua instructs them, go and take the land. And he, he apportions the land, he divides the land to every tribe. And that tribe's job is to drive out 
the, inher- the, the people that live in the land at the time. He's to drive them out. Now you say, that sounds mean. Why are you driving them out? You've got to understand. First of all, in the Old Testament, nobody's innocent here. There's no innocent civilians. They've all rebelled against God. They, not, nobody has a right to anything at this point. Second of all, God is using His covenant people to show the world who He is. Not only that, but to bring redemption to all of humanity through that line. So in order to preserve the Messiah who is going to come and save the world, there must be a preservation of His people Israel. What does that mean? That means he cannot let these surrounding nations destroy the seed of Abraham because that seed is the promise to humanity. It may sound cruel that they go into a city and wipe everybody out, but you've got to understand this was for the redemption of humanity. I know it takes big picture view to see that. But to first realize nobody was innocent, God loved everybody, and yet nobody... Nobody had a right to anything at that point. They had all sinned against God. They had all rebelled against Him. And yet, He has a promise to humanity. He uses His people Israel as, this, as the way to, to, to see that promise through, as the way to deliver that promise. And they're told to drive out the inhabitants of the promised land. The reason for this is, if those people stay they will infect you with their false gods. They will enslave you. They will kill you. You keep them in, and that seed is in danger. The covenant is in danger. Now see, God keeps covenant. He can protect His own covenant. But there's a reason why they had to be driven out. They'll find other places. So God tells these people, drive them out. They don't do that. They do it some. I mean, Caleb is an old man, and he goes, there's some giants up on the hill. Let me have them. Let me have them. Me and my boys, we're going to go get them. We'll go knock them out. We want to get some. We, we only got to get a few giants. There's still some more up there. You let me get the, the mountains. You give me the high mountains. I want those. So Joshua says, yeah, fine. <laughs> Caleb, you're, you're a go-getter. You go get those guys. But he gives every tribe a portion of land. They weren't supposed to make any treaties. No deals. They did that. They weren't supposed to. They're supposed to say, I'm sorry, you have to leave. Get out of here. They didn't. They, you know, they didn't listen to God. Verse 27 of, of Judges 1 says, But Manasseh did not take possession of Beth Sheen and its villages, or Tanakh and its villages, or the inhabitants of Dor and its villages, or the inhabitants of Iblium and its villages, or the inhabitants of Megiddo and its villages. So the Canaanites persisted in living in that land. Why did the Canaanites persist? Because they didn't take it. Because they did not fulfill what God told them to do. It came about when Israel became strong that they put the Canaanites to forced labor, but they did not drive them out completely. Did God say, use them as slaves? God did not say, use them as slaves. God said, drive them out. They said, well, we have a better idea. We can use these people. Mm -mm. And we're going to see later how these Canaanites caused them a lot of trouble. Ephraim did not drive out the Canaanites who were living in Gezer. So the Canaanites lived in Gezer among them. Zebulon did not drive out the inhabitants of Kitron. 
or the inhabitants of Nehalol. So the Canaanites lived among them and became subject to forced labor. Asher did not drive out the inhabitants of Akko or the inhabitants of Sidon or of Halab or of Akzib or of Halba or Afik or Rehob. So the Asherites lived amongst the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land, for they did not drive them out. Are you seeing a pattern here? So it's not good. Naphtali did not drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh or the inhabitants of Beth Anath, but lived amongst the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land. And the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh and Beth Anath became forced labor for them. Then the Amorites forced the son of Dan into the hill country, for they did not allow them to come to the valley. Yet the Amorites persisted in living in Mount Harris, and Ahialon, and Shaalbim. But when the power of the house of Joseph grew strong, they became forced labor. That was not God's plan. God did not say make slaves. He said drive them out. Israel thought they had a better thing. You know, God's plan was never for them to do this, but they saw from the nations around them, what do you do when you conquer? Now, where they, where their, their parents come from? Their parents had come from Egypt, where they were forced to be slaves. You see, a slave becomes free, and unless you change your mind, you see, this is what happens when you still have a mindset of a slave, is that when they, their parents still had a mindset of a slave and kept wanting to go back to Egypt, their kids still think in that mindset, but instead of them thinking, well, we still feel like slaves, they say, now we get our own slaves. But God never told them to do that. They saw the nations around and saw that's what the nations around did. They copied them. And they compromised the covenant of God. The border, in verse 36, the border of the Amorites ran from the ascent of Akrabim, from Selah and upward. Chapter 2, Now the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bochim, and he said, I brought you up out of Egypt and led you into the land which I swore to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And as for you, you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall tear down their altars. But you have not obeyed me. What is this that you have done? I told you, don't make a treaty with them. Drive them out and tear down their altars. You didn't do any of it. What is this that you have done? You know, when God asks a question, he, it doesn't, it's not because He doesn't know the answer. It's because He wants you to think about the question and you to think about the answer. He says, what is this that you have done? Therefore I also said, I will not drive them out before you because of this. Because they didn't do it. Because they did not listen. He says, I'm not going to drive them out. But they will become as thorns in your sides and their gods will be a snare to you. And when the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the sons of Israel, the people lifted up their voices and wept. So they named that place Bochim, and there they sacrificed to the Lord. Joshua dies. They've sacrificed to the Lord. They've, they've appeared to turn back to Him. Then they bury Joshua. And do you know what happens? They turn and start say, serving the gods of the Canaanites. The Canaanites worshipped one of those famous gods that shows up, I should say infamous gods, that shows up throughout the Old Testament. Baal. We often call him Baal. A wicked, wicked God that told them to commit unspeakable acts against their own children and people. They worship this God. The minute Joshua is buried, maybe not the minute, but not long after he's buried, 
the sons of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they forsook the Lord, in verse 12 it says, they forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, and followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were around them, and bowed themselves down to them. Thus they provoked the Lord to anger. So they forsook the Lord and served Baal and the Ashtaroth. Oh no. And the anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and he gave them into the hands of plunderers who plundered them. And he sold them into the hands of their enemies around them, so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. Wherever they went, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil, as the hand, as the Lord had spoken, and the Lord had sworn to them, so that they were severely distressed. Then, now listen, lest you think that God is being mean here, God was not being mean. This was the covenant he had made with them. He had told them this is what's going to happen. And yet, look at verse 16. Here's where it gets wonderful. Then the Lord raised up judges who delivered them from the hands of those that plundered them. They did not deserve to be delivered. And yet he delivered them with his hand. Yet they did not listen to their judges. Oh, guys. For they played the harlot after other gods and bowed themselves down to them. And they turned aside quickly from the way in which their fathers had walked in, obeying the commandments of the Lord. They did not do as their fathers. And when the Lord raised up for judges for them, the Lord was with the judge and delivered them from the hands of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity. Listen to that. The Lord was moved to pity for them. He had compassion for them. His heart hurt for them. He grieved for them. He was moved to pity for them by their groaning because of those who oppressed and afflicted them. But it came about when the judge died that they would turn back and act more corruptly than their fathers and following other gods to serve them and bow down to them. They did not abandon their practices or their stubborn ways. I want to ask you a question. Who's turning their back on whom? Did God turn his back on the people? They turned their back on him continually. I mean, and God is the one who's always like, okay, honey, I'll take you back. And they, they, they rejoice in his goodness and, and they enjoy that for a while and then they get distracted or bored and they go somewhere else. He tells them, I'm not going to drive these nations out. Next few verses, he says, I'm not going to drive them out anymore. He says, your, your children are going to learn war doesn't mean he's not saying I want to teach you how to do battle he says they're going to know war I didn't want them to know war I did not want them to have to learn war like you learned war but because you would not listen to me these people are going to be here your kids are going to know what war is like that was not my plan that was your deal guys what a sad state that they're in And yet the Lord is good. Raises up Ehud to deliver them. Raises up Shamgar to deliver them. And then, when the Canaanites once again take over, he raises up a prophet. As the scripture says, a prophetess, Deborah. Chapter 5. We'll go back and forth between chapter 5 and chapter 4. But I'm so captured by this song that I want you to hear it. I'm not going to sing it because I don't know how it goes. We're going to read it and see what the song of praise is to God. The Canaanites have 
have taken over, have begun to oppress the sons of Israel, and they cry out to the Lord. And every time they cry out to the Lord, the Lord doesn't say, not this time. Every time they cry out to the Lord, the Lord responds and delivers. We serve a God of deliverance. We serve a God who promises that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He doesn't pick favorites. He doesn't decide somebody, well, you didn't qualify, or somebody's, you know, you're, you're, you're just too ugly. He, he just says, you call on my name, I will deliver you. I will rescue you. What a great God we serve. What a good God. A covenant-keeping God. Remember what he said to them. I will not break my covenant with you. Now, when they walk away from his covenant, when they forsook his covenant, he let them go, but when they returned... He said, my covenant stands. I still have a covenant with you. Who would do this? What husband would take a wife back who cheated on him 10, 15 times? So rare. God did this. Takes them back every time. And in this we see His love and His mercy. So He's delivered them from the Canaanites. We're going to read that story in a moment. The Canaanites have become very strong. Extremely strong. And have come. You see, these were the Canaanites who used to be the slaves. Well, they got, they got big. And then they made the Israelites the slaves. They got their revenge. You see, have they been driven out? They wouldn't be a problem. But they're here and they're here to stay. So now they're out for revenge. Now they're going to take their anger and their, their fair share as they see it out on the sons of Israel. God raises up Deborah. Deborah is a prophet and a judge. You see, a judge, a judge in this time was not somebody who was just smart and knew how, to, knew how to handle court cases. A judge was someone who heard directly from the Spirit of God and, 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 and led the people as the Spirit told them to lead and, and listened to the voice of God and judged matters according to the voice of God. And when, when Israel needed a deliverer and they were against impossible odds, God raised up a prophetess not to fight for them, but to lead them and tell them what to do and show them where to go. There was a man named Barak. He was a general. He was a strong fighting man. And yet he was, like many of the Israelites at the time, a bit of a coward in his own way. He trusts Deborah. And Deborah says, you go up. God is going to give them into your hands. And he says, I'm only going to go if you go. You know Come on, dude. You know, he just said, God, she just said, God is going to give them into your hands. I, I won't go if you don't go. You may think that's noble. That's not noble. That was, that was fear. A leader should be able to lead and delegate. A leader should be able, there are times when a leader's got to lead his troops in battle. But at this point, Deborah's job was to tell the war leader what to do, and he was supposed to do it. But he gets timid, says, You come, he has a woman to come with him to battle. What a gentleman. Chivalry is dead, apparently. He says, oh, you know, 
Not unless you come with me. She says, fine, here's the deal. I come with you, but then God gives the honor of the victory to a woman. How's that sound to you? Oh, I guess so. I guess that's okay. So Barak was still a good man. He had his, he had his tendencies, but he's still a good man, a godly man. And he led the troops into victory. We'll read about that in a moment. But I want you to start with the song. In chapter 5, verse 1. This is after the victory. Deborah and Barak, the son of Abinoam, said on that day, saying, sang on that day, saying, that the leaders led in Israel, that the people volunteered, bless the Lord. I want you to hear that again. That the leaders led in Israel, that the people volunteered, Bless the Lord. Who's getting credit? God's getting credit. The leaders aren't getting credit for leading. The people aren't getting the credit for volunteering. God is getting credit that the leaders are finally leading and the people are finally volunteering. You see, when God moves, when His Spirit rises up, there is something that happens. Leaders lead people volunteer and they're enabled to do that you've been given the spirit and the power to do that this is what the church is supposed to look like we've got leaders who don't lead who are afraid to lead but he says come on when my spirit is on you when my power is shown when there is a day of deliverance leaders lead and people volunteer psalm 110:3 says my people or sorry it says your people will volunteer freely in the day of your power when you rise up, your people will volunteer freely. These are a bunch of people who've been used to being oppressed, who are afraid to go to battle. And now, because there's leaders that know their God, they lead. And because there's leaders that are leading, there are people that also know their God that are volunteering. And you take a group of cowards who are now a mighty army. That the, peop- that the leaders led in Israel, that the people volunteered, bless the Lord. Hear, O kings, give ear, O rulers. I to the Lord, I will sing. I will sing praise to the Lord, the God of Israel. You see, he's the one getting credit for this victory. Lord, when you went out from Seir, when you marched from the field of Edom, the earth quaked, the heavens also dripped. Even the clouds dripped water. Now, what's he referring to? This is when... Uh, Seir was one of those mountains that's referred to when we talk about the giving of the law, when, the, when God revealed himself to his people. And it was a time of great terror to some to see the living God and to experience it. Now, they didn't get to see him face to face, but they knew that he was there. They were quite afraid. He came out from the mountain and showed himself to his people and uh, brought them his commands, brought him their... Uh, his promises and, and the law. And they say, when you did this, the earth quaked. The heavens also dripped. Even the clouds dripped water. The mountains quaked at the presence of the Lord. This Sinai at the presence of the Lord, the God of Israel. In the days of Shamgar, the son of Anath, in the days of Yael, the highways were deserted. And travelers went by roundabout ways. Yael will read about later. She's the woman who finally got the honor for killing the Canaanite commander. But Shamgar was that guy that we saw came, up, came uh, right before Deborah. He was one of the judges that God raised up that killed uh, 600 men with an ox goad. 
<laughs> an ox goat. That wasn't even an electric prod. It was just, you know, a stick with a pointy end, maybe a metal tip of some sort. But the Israelites didn't have iron. You know who had iron? Canaanites. Canaanites had 900 iron chariots. Israelites didn't have anything. Can you imagine 900 iron chariots? Iron. Major cutting edge technology of the time. Iron. This is not iron like everybody's got iron. This is new technology. This is the latest in killing technology. They've got it. Their chariots have iron on them. And most likely those lovely blades on the wheels that when you drive through infantry cuts infantry to pieces. 900 iron chariots and a bunch of other people we don't know how many because he says that this false general Yabin of the Canaanites rises up sorry the king is Yabin his man his Sisera his commander rises up and leads 900 chariots and then it says and all the other people that were with him we don't know how many those are but that's a lot those chariots alone, these are like the tanks of the ancient world. And you're facing them. Not only that, but the scripture says there wasn't a spear amongst them. All those Israelites didn't have one spear. We'll read that in a moment, but you know why? It was either because they didn't think they needed them, or, or even more likely, we see in 1 Samuel what the Philistines did. They took all the spears away from the Israelites. Said, nope, you don't get any. That's what the Canaanites did. So the Israelites don't have any spears. What do they have? Sticks. Yeah, rocks. <laughs> they've got, they've, I don't know what they've got. See, ox goads, obviously, Shamgar fights them off, beats 600 guys with an ox goad. These are guys that have swords. He's got an ox goad. This is obviously a work of the Spirit. So what happens... He said, it says that in the days of Shamgar and the days of Yael, the, the highways were deserted. So nobody wanted to, to go on the highways. Too dangerous. You couldn't walk from village to village. Too dangerous. You're going to get robbed. You're going to get killed. Whatever. Travelers went by roundabout ways. So it's a dangerous place to live. The peasantry ceased. They ceased in Israel. What does this mean? You don't have farmers. Everybody's too afraid to live on a farm in a rural setting. You can't live out there because raiders come the enemy comes and they destroy your land and kill your family. So what do they all do? They all have to go and run to towns where there's maybe some protection and band together. So the peasantry has ceased. Do you know what that does to the economy of a nation when the farms go away? This is a problem. Huge. But listen to this. I love this verse. The peasantry ceased. They ceased in Israel. Until I, Deborah, arose. Isn't that awesome? She says, until I, Deborah, arose, until I arose, a mother in Israel. You see, people are in need of somebody to rise up and fight for them. 
People are in need of somebody to rise up and know their God and be His instrument of deliverance. And she says, nobody was doing anything. Everybody was submitting to slavery. Everybody was submitting to oppression. The peasantry, they ran. They fled to villages. Nobody, everybody was afraid to walk out in the highways day or night until I arose. Until I, Deborah, arose a mother in Israel. This is a woman who knows who she is. She knows who she is by the Spirit of God, though. Look, the first few verses that we read of that song, who are they talking about? God. They're talking about Him. They're talking about Yahweh shaking the earth. They're talking about Yahweh coming out of the mountains and the heavens are dripping. They're talking about a Lord who delivers. And so when she says, I arose, she's not saying, you know, finally, somebody who can fight. She says, I arose a prophetess. Someone who knew God. Someone who could speak the word of God. I love this because she was not a warrior. You may think she's a warrior type of person. But you know what? The scripture calls her a judge and a prophetess. She would sit under a palm tree and judge the people. And as they'd come, she'd give them the word of the Lord. For their situation and when the time came for deliverance she prophesied to them you see this is so valuable because this what we know about the word of the Lord we know that the word of the Lord is not advice the word of the Lord is an empowering work in your life it's a force in your life when the word of God said light be it was not advice that light should be it was the power for light to be that created light. So when the word of the Lord came to Joshua, says be strong and be courageous, it was not advice to be strong and be courageous. It was strength and courage infused into his very being. And when a prophetess arises and speaks the word of the Lord, why did the people volunteer? Why did the leaders lead? Because God was speaking to them and they had ears to hear it. As God spoke through Deborah, men who were too afraid to do anything rose up. And women who had no strength to stand on their own and no husband to fight on their behalf and protect the family began to see their worth again as well. The leaders led in Israel that the people volunteer, bless the Lord. I, Deborah, arose until I arose a mother in Israel. New gods, listen to this verse 8. New gods were chosen. Then war was in the gates. When they turned to other gods, they turned to war. You see, as long as they served the Lord, they had peace. Judges is so easy to, to, to see. I mean, now, when you look at it in its context and you put yourself in the position, there are things that become more complex and difficult. But if you look at it from a broad perspective, when they served the Lord... They were strong and had peace. When they turned to other gods, they were oppressed. Seems pretty clean, doesn't it? So he says, new gods were chosen, then war was in the gates. Not a shield or a spear was seen among 40,000 in Israel. No one in Israel had any weapons to fight. And war was in the gates. How terrifying is that? My heart goes out to the commanders of Israel, the volunteers among the people. 
bless the Lord. You who ride on white donkeys, you who sit on rich carpets, in other words, the upper class, and you who travel on the road, sing. At the sound of those who divide flocks among the watering places, there they shall recount the righteous deeds of the Lord. The righteous deeds for His peasantry. In other words, the rural folk, the farmers in Israel have arisen again. The ones that had ceased had been scared away. They say, you rich folk who live in cities, look at, look at us now. The rural folks have arisen and God has used us to bring deliverance to a nation. This is pretty cool. Listen to the song that the shepherd is singing because he knows God has done great things. Then the people of the Lord went down to the gates. Awake! Awake, Deborah! Awake! Awake! Sing a song. The original Hebrew says, utter a song. In other words, it's going to be given to you. Your job is to let it out. Arise, Barak, and take away your captives, O son of Abinom. Then survivors came down to the nobles. The people of the Lord came down to me as warriors. From Ephraim, those whose root is in Amalek, came down. Following you, Benjamin, with your peoples. From Machir, commanders came down. And from Zebulon, those who would wield the staff of office. And the princes of Issachar were with Deborah. As was Issachar, so was Barak. Into the valley they rushed at his heels. Among the divisions of Reuben, there were great resolves of heart. In other words, they had great courage and boldness. Where they were afraid, now they have great resolve of heart. Why? Because the Spirit of God has arisen amongst the people. The leaders are leading and the people are volunteering. And now they have great resolve of heart. Why did you sit amongst the sheepfolds? To hear the piping for the flock? Among the divisions of Reuben, there were great searchings of heart. Gilead remained across the Jordan. And why did Dan stay in ships? Asher sat at the seashore and remained by its landings. Zebulon was a people who despised their lives, even, despised their lives, even to death. And Naphtali also on the high places of the field. What is, he say, what is she saying? She's talking about the men of valor that rose up. And then she calls the ones out that were too afraid to believe God stayed home God still delivered his people but they don't get a share in it how sad is that she says of one group of people that they the, the people of Zebulon despised their lives what does despise mean you keep it of no account no worth even to death and Naphtali also in the high places of the field. Listen to this. The kings came and fought. Then fought the kings of Canaan. At Tanakh near the waters of Megiddo. They took no plunder in silver. The stars fought from heaven. From their courses they fought against Sisera. The torrent of Kishon swept them away. The ancient torrent. The torrent Kishon. Oh my soul, march on with strength. Then the horse's hoofs beat from the dashing, the dashing of his valiant steeds. Curse morose, said the angel of the Lord. Utterly curse its inhabitants, because they did not come to the help of the Lord, to help of the Lord against the warriors. Now we're going to pick up the rest of the song next week, but we want to look back at the story in chapter 4 to bring some context to this. 
It says in chapter 4, verse 1, Then the sons of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord after Ehud died. And the Lord sold them into the hand of Yabin, king of Canaan, who was reigned in Hazor. And the commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in Harasheth Hagayim. And the sons of Israel cried to the Lord, for he had 900 iron chariots, and he oppressed the sons of Israel sev- severely for 20 years. So after 20 years, they say, you know, we need help. No kidding, really. Now Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lepidoth, was judging Israel at the time. She used to sit under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the sons of Israel came up to her for judgment. Now she sent and summoned Barak, the son of Abinoam, from Kadesh Naphtali and said to him, Behold the Lord, the God of Israel has commanded. Go and march to Mount Tabor and take with you 10,000 men from the sons of Naphtali and the sons of Zebulun. And I will draw you out to you, Sisera, the commander of Yabin's army, with his chariots and his many troops to the river Kishon, and I will give him into your hand. Then Barak said to her, If you will go with me, then I will go. But if you don't go with me, I'm not going to go. Oh, man. You don't go with me, I'm not going. But, you know, if you go, because I trust you. She said, I'll surely go with you. Nevertheless, the honor shall not be yours on the journey, but you are about to take. For the Lord will sell Sisera into the hands of a woman. Then Deborah arose and went with Barak to Kadesh. Barak called Zebulon and Naphtali together to to Kadesh, and 10,000 men went up with him. Deborah also went with him. Now Hebar the Kenite had separated himself from the Kenites, from the sons of Hodab, sorry, Hobab, the father-in-law of Moses, and had pitched his tent as far away as the oak in Zaninim, which is near Kadesh. Okay, so let me give you some background. This guy is part of a group of people who've always stuck with the Israelites, because these were Moses' in-laws. So they were close allies. And yet one of their leaders did not stand with the Israelites. But his army, they stuck with Israel. This guy was a traitor. He turned to the Canaanites because he thought they'd win. We're later to find out. His wife didn't think so either. But he, uh, he was a traitor. He pitched his tent with them and separated himself from the Kenites. And it says... In uh, verse 12, Then they told Sisera that Barak the son of Abinoam had gone up to Mount Tabor. And Sisera called together all his chariots, 900 iron chariots, and all the people were with him, from Harasheth Hagayim to the river Kishon. And Deborah said to Barak, Arise! You hear this a few times, don't you? Arise! For this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Behold, the Lord has gone out before you. I want you to hear that. Arise, for this is the day that the Lord has what? Given. You see, we have to understand as the people of God, we are the people of God. We are continually walking out His promises. We are walking out His work on this earth. We are walking in paths prepared for us. This does not mean that everything that happens to you happens to you because God wanted it to happen to you. Because as you see, when they disobeyed, things changed. However, we as the people of God have got to realize that the battle is not ours. It is the Lord's. So when we obey the Lord 
and we step into the power of God and the grace of God working in our lives, you are not going to have to do this on your own. In fact, to think that causes fear because you realize I can't do it on my own and you draw back. But what does the scripture say? It says that the one who is proud, he's puffed up. But my righteous one will live by his faith. You see, the one who's proud and puffed up, he's the one that shrinks back. Why? Because he's only puffed up. He's not actually that big. A puffed up person gets popped, gets deflated. And when, thing, when pressure comes, what happens to somebody that's puffed up when pressure comes on them? But when someone is built up, as love does, built up and edified in the inner man, strengthened by the power of God, and realizes... I can't do this on my own, but I don't have to. I stand in the strength of God. I stand in the grace of God. I stand in the power of God. He lives by faith. He stands. He does not shrink back. He doesn't run away. He has resolve of heart. He has spirit. He has courage. Because he realizes, or she, that the battle is the Lord's. I'm simply inheriting the promise. The great sin of the Israelites in Moses' time was not... the. I mean, they did several things to displease God, but you know the, the thing that, that was the cracker, the thing that, that you know broke the camel's back? Was that they did not enter the promised land because of unbelief. Because they said, we are not strong enough. And the Lord said, you never were. Joshua and Caleb said, the Lord is strong. He will surely give them into our hands. You see, this is how men and women of God spoke. They said, He will give them to us. Men and women who stood in their own strength said, We're not strong enough to take them. But men and women who stood in the strength of God said, He will give them to us. That's the difference. You may say, how does this relate to me? This is an Old Testament story. It happened thousands of years ago. I don't see how this affects my life. It affects your life, friend, because you are living in the power of the Holy Spirit. You're His covenant people. You're His children who are called to inherit things, called to, as the Scripture says, through faith and patience, inherit the promises, and you will not do it if you're too afraid to go or you're too proud to say, I need Him. And if we're really going to be the strong people of God that are going to be His hand of deliverance in our present age, a hand of deliverance to a culture that's dying, hand of deliverance to a nation that is has, has walking down the path of destruction, you're going to have to be people that say, I'm going to put myself and present myself like the 10,000 who stood up and said, here we are in front of 900 iron chariots and said, come and get us. You're going to have to put yourself in the middle of the battle knowing that you don't have to fight the battle. You may have to fight it, but he'll fight it through you. This is why this is important to him. Because people of faith volunteer. Because leaders of faith lead. Proud people are puffed up and shrink back when the pressure comes on. Scripture says that knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. A puffed up person is puffed up in peacetime. And they know all the answers when things are going well. But when persecution, tribulation, affliction arises, they run. 
and fail. But a man and woman of God who know their God are built up and edified in His love. These are the people that will stand no matter what happens and will be the hand of deliverance to a lost and dying world. Now let's read this again. See what happens because it's, it's about to get really good. Deborah had said to Barak, Arise, for this is the day in which the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Behold, the Lord has gone out before you. What does behold mean? Look. Pay attention. Behold, the Lord has gone out before you. Isn't that great? Now, they say, I don't see anybody. I don't see anybody. I'm looking. What's she asking them to do? Look with the eyes of faith. Behold, the Lord has gone out before you. I mean, I'm not thinking that they saw big giant footprints in the dirt. Who's that? Must be the Lord. No. She's saying, pay attention to what I'm saying. Listen to the voice of God. Listen to the voice of the prophet. The Lord has gone out before you. And you're going to just have to believe that, guys. You're just going to have to say, okay, I trust you. So Barak went down from Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. (laughs) That the people volunteered, bless the Lord. And the Lord, listen, who, who routed them? The Lord routed Sisera. And all his chariots, these 900 tanks of the ancient world, were routed by the Lord with the edge of the sword before Barak and Sisera alighted from his chariots and fled away on foot but Barak pursued the chariots and the army as far as Harosheth Hagayim and the army of Sisera fell by the edge of the sword not even one was left we'll read the rest later but I want you to see this now this is really cool because what happened was the Lord actually told if you look at these two chapters you find out that the Lord told the Israelites to camp in a certain position by the river that chariots could not easily access, so they were protected when they camped out. But then the Lord said, go present yourself, and the 10,000 men stood in an open field. And Sisera, being a wise general, knew if I get them in the open field, the chariots will do the most damage. What they didn't count on is what we see in chapter 5. The Lord sent All of a sudden, these open plains that were perfect chariot battleground became a swamp of mud. Impossible to maneuver a chariot. So all these guys who were vastly outnumbering, vastly outsupplied, vastly out-equipped, all of a sudden, the storms come. And the Israelites, because what does the Scripture say in chapter 5? The stars were at war with you. What does that mean? It means the heavens. You were at war with something you didn't know. You thought you were at war with Israel. You were at war with God. It says the stars were at war with you. Not only that, the stars fought from heaven, from their courses. They fought against Sisera. The torrent of Kishon swept them away. The ancient torrent, the torrent Kishon. Oh, my soul, march on with strength. Isn't this awesome? All of a sudden, these 900 tanks become 
utterly useless and the warriors on top of them are incapacitated and the men of Israel who now have strength on the inside of them not a sword amongst them but they got plowshares and you know sits maybe and you know a pitchfork and they go after these guys and we know some of them had swords because it said by the edge of the sword he pursued them so some of them had made some swords in secret or something or yeah, Echo's right. Maybe they took some swords from some soldiers. <laughs> Kill a guy, take his sword. That's a good plan. Pursue them and win. Not only did they chase them away, but they hunted them down. See, this was supposed to be a slaughter. This turned out for the good of Israel because they cried out to the Lord. And the Lord keeps His covenant, and He delivered them. We're going to talk more about that next Wednesday, but what I want you to hear tonight is the contrast of those that knew their God and stood up and led and volunteered. And there were those that stood back and shrunk back and never got any honor for the battle. It is our time as the church to be the church. Not to go to church, but to be the church. To arise and say, we have been given the Spirit of the living God, who does not desire that any should perish, but that all, all, all shall be saved. So it is time that we realize that there's got to be some people who awake Awake, sing a song. Awake, awake, take your captives. Arise, arise, and be who God made you to be through His strength, through His anointing, through His grace. But quit cowering back and saying, I cannot compete. Because as we read last week, Paul clearly said, I don't qualify. I am not fit. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And what Deborah had to say is, I am a prophetess, even though in that day and age for a woman to lead was unheard of. I'm sure she took her share of wallops. I'm, I'm sure she took her share of people talking behind her back. But she says, I don't care what you think. The Lord has called me for this task. And she says, the peasantry ceased. Everyone fled. Everybody, uh, the, the, this, the, our economy, our nation was in damage and peril until I arose. Until I, Deborah, arose a mother in Israel. And the truth of the matter is, Lloyd Minster, Saskatchewan, Alberta, Canada, your neighborhood, your workplace, your school, they are in peril and will continue to be so until someone in the body of Christ says, Awake. Awake. That the leaders led. That the people volunteered. Bless the Lord. That the leaders would lead. And that the people will volunteer. You see, that's what people of faith do. 
If they're called to lead, they lead. If they're called to volunteer, they volunteer for anything that God tells them to do. You don't wait for somebody to convince you. You don't wait for somebody to to tell you you have to do it. Because we're people who've been saved by the grace of God, who've been empowered by His Spirit. We don't have to wait for somebody to tell us we have to do something. We get to do something. We get to be a part of the great harvest of the ages. We get to be a part of God's greatest move in the history of all time. And you just want to be one of those people that sits in the ship and waits while everyone else gets the honor? I want to come in. I want rewards on the end of the, at the end of the day. I want crowns at the end of the judgment so I have something to take off and lay at the feet of Jesus. I don't want to be one of those people that the, the, Paul's letter to the Corinthians describes that says, I got saved as though through fire, but I've got nothing to show for it. You want to be somebody who says, in the day of His power, I'm one of those that volunteered. I'm one of those that stood up and said, I know who my God is. He is a God of deliverance. He is a God of deliverance. And I refuse to see my people perish. I refuse to see them die. I refuse to see them under such attack. I am a child of the living God. And I will stand up and say, Hey, I've been given His Spirit, the same Spirit that anointed Jesus Christ to proclaim release to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, the gospel to the poor, the favorable year of the Lord. That same Spirit is on and in me. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of deliverance. Awake, awake, utter a song. Awake, awake, take your captives. Arise, arise, and lead. Arise, arise, and volunteer. Now, tonight's been a bit different. We've read from a a bit of a different direction than we normally would go. Be inspired to see that it was not the quality of men nor the quality of their weapons that won the day. It was the God who promised that won the day and the men and women who believed the promise that got to share in the victory. Now as we stand on behalf of those that are too sick to come to church today, we do not have the medical knowledge to heal these people. We don't have the ability to go in and fix them but we serve a God who told us to pray. He didn't say, trust me. Stand back and see what I do. Just don't, don't get in my way and I'll heal them. No, he says, pray for one another that you may be healed. He says, lay hands on the sick and they will recover. He says, the prayer of faith will restore the one who is sick. He does not say, I will send angels to all your co-workers and get them born again. He says that you've got to go out and make disciples. He says, preach the gospel of this kingdom wherever you go. He says, you're the ministers of reconciliation. Do you realize that God's hand is moving in our generation and He wants to use you as His part of that hand, as part of His deliverance? Oh, that the leaders would lead. Oh, that the people would volunteer. Now stand up and we're going to bless the Lord. And I want you to see in yourself that you are stepping into the land of promise. That everything we've ever prayed for, everything we've ever believed for, has simply been something we saw in the Word as promised to us. You see, we're not arrogant. 
We should never be so arrogant as to tell God, here's the plan. But we picked up a book in which he said, here's the plan. We've heard his voice in which he said, here's the plan. You've heard very clearly what the Lord has said. And it is for your good. It is for your deliverance. It is for your rescue. So will you stand up and lead? Will you stand up and volunteer? Will you say the battle is the Lord's and He has given them into our hand? Don't wait. Don't wait for your pastor to come with you wherever you go. Like Barak said to Deborah, just come with me that shows you know what there's grace for that there's mercy for that and there are times where your pastor goes with you and says I'd rather you do this on your own but I'll go with you don't be too ashamed to ask somebody for help you see Jesus sent people out two by two that's, that's a good thing but don't just wait for somebody you see as a spiritual leader to do everything for you because you carry the spirit of God in you he's not asking you to make make the preachers do all the work now the scripture says that their job is to equip you for the work of ministry you are the hand of the Lord sit back stand move walk speak and watch him deliver through you watch him rescue through you watch him prevail against the enemy through your hand Though you may not be outnumbered, though you may be outmaneuvered, though you may be outthought, you will not be defeated because you stand on the side of the one who made the promise. And the promise is always good. Father, we submit to you right now. We submit our lives, we submit our dreams, we submit our plans to you. You said that the harvest was plentiful, but the labors were few. So... You, you told us to pray that the Lord of the harvest would send laborers into the field. So right now, Lord, we ask you, send laborers into your field. Raise up volunteers that will go and harvest and participate in the joy of the harvest. Raise up leaders that will not be afraid to lead, will not be intimidated by their qualifications or the people that speak against them, but are willing to lead with strength and boldness and wisdom. Raise up people who will stand for justice and righteousness, who will stand and be the hand of deliverance, be your force of love to the world that needs it so badly. A world that is crying out for deliverance. Let us be the ones that show your mercy, that show your compassion, that show your love, that show your power in this present age. May we be the ones that deliver. May we, the, may we, the, we be the ones that see your hand set people free through us. Lord, we want to be the ones that you use. We volunteer freely because we recognize this is the day of your power. And we are your people full of your spirit. So God, if there are those that have been afraid, I pray and speak right now that they will be full of strength and boldness. Strength and courage. Strength and courage enter them. Lord, give them abundant strength, bravery, boldness, and courage. Faith to believe that you are who you said you are and that they can be who you made them to be. Not them, but the grace of God in them. Jesus' name.
Use the ones that the, nobody counted on. Use the ones that nobody gave any credit to. Use the ones that nobody thought would do a thing. Use them to confound the wise. Use them to show the world that you are a good God. You are a powerful God. You are a merciful God. You are a loving God. You are a good God, a God of justice, a God of truth, a God who always keeps His promises. And we glorify You and thank You for it. In Jesus' name. Now what I want you to do right now, we're about to close, but what I want you to do is I want you to listen to the voice of God. And I want you to just say, yes. I want you to say, I volunteer. Now, for everybody that means something different. For everybody, you know what the Lord has asked you to do. You know what He's told you to do. I want you to say to the Lord, in your own way, in your own voice, in your own space, I'll do it. I'll do it. I won't be afraid, for I know you've given it to me. I know you've given me the victory. I, have not, I don't have to take the victory. You've given me that victory. So, whether it be somebody that you've known you were meant to to share Jesus with, whether it be something you were, you were called and raised up to do and you know you've been anointed to do it, whether it be a situation in your life that stood in front of you like the Canaanites and has boldly said, we're here to stay, and it's just stayed there and you thought it's always going to be there, if that's it, you need to at some point just say, no, not anymore. I volunteer. I will do what you've asked me to do. And I'll do it in your strength. In Jesus' name.